Thank you. All right. Boy, it's good to be back with you. Is that? Okay. I trust you will. Um, fall is my favorite season. How many are with me? A few? Oh, wow, we ain't got to. Okay. Um, and it's really not a debate for me. There's not really a close second. Um, I could go into all the reasons why it's my favorite. But I just want to tell you one of the reasons. Um, best part of the season for me is that my two favorite sports, college football and college basketball, they overlap one another for like this small period of time. And it's just like too much goodness at once, right? Like we shouldn't be allowed to enjoy so much at one time. To be able to have your favorite college football team and your favorite college basketball team both playing games at the same time. Now, not everyone knows this about the Kaufman household. Most do, but not everyone here does. So I'm going to tell you. But we're big University of Georgia football fans. And we're big University of Kentucky basketball fans. Now, typically when I share that news with someone, it's not received particularly well. My kids have grown up cheering for both teams, and their friends give them a lot of grief about it. Generally speaking, people get defensive and say things like, you can't like both teams. You have to choose one or the other. They want my kids to be all in with one program or all in with the other program. And they just won't let them be fans of both teams. But, you know, they come by it honestly. Just in case you didn't know, I graduated from the University of Georgia. I was a student at UGA when our current head coach, Kirby Smart, was an all-SEC defensive back. Used to go watch him play in between the hedges as a student. In addition, all three of my older children were born in Athens, Georgia, in a hospital just kind of basically directly across from Sanford Stadium. And in case you didn't know, my wife Karen grew up here in Lexington. Now you need to know this about my wife. She could care less about sports. But her dad has had four season tickets to Rupp Arena for decades now. And some of her favorite memories growing up was as a little girl going to Rupp Arena with her family to watch the cats play. I'm serious. You need to know. She doesn't care about sports. Super Bowl, you name it. She doesn't want to see it. But when the cats are playing, the television has to be on. So that's the household that my kids grew up in. They've been taught to have a foot in both worlds, so to speak. They're Georgia football fans and they're Kentucky basketball fans. So deal with it, Christy Wadlington. 
I share that with you this morning as an illustration, and I think it's a pretty good one, of trying to live in two worlds at the same time. It's not an easy proposition. People don't generally like you trying to do it. They want you to either be all in with one or all in with the other. But here's the reality. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are a people who have a foot in both worlds, so to speak. We're people of earth and we're people of heaven. So how does that work exactly? It sounds kind of messy and complicated, right? What does that look like? Well, if you haven't already, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, verses 35 through 40. This morning, we're going to conclude our look at Acts chapter 16, Paul's time in Philippi. It's been quite an experience for Paul and his companions, to say the least, as the very first house church in all of Europe has formed here in Acts chapter 16. And we've met three of the founding members, Lydia and her household, most likely this slave girl, and then a Roman jailer and his household. It's really an eclectic group. And I like to keep Acts chapter 16 in mind, all three of these individuals, whenever I'm reading Paul's letter to the Philippians, because these are some of the people who he's writing to. John Stott, in his commentary on Acts, points to these three individuals as an expression of the unifying power of the gospel. Because here in Philippi, simple faith in Jesus Christ has brought together a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. Now, at one time, these were the categories of people who did not have a place in the people of God. These are the categories of people who were left out. But now, through faith in Jesus Christ, they have a place in this new fellowship. Paul wrote these words to the Galatians, but his words resonate true also in Philippi as well, when in Galatians 3.26, he wrote, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. That's our jailer. There's neither slave nor free, that's the slave girl. There's neither male nor female, that's Lydia. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. This reality has happened in Philippi. Three very different people have become one people in Christ Jesus. People have come to know Jesus and this beautiful new community has formed. But it's not been easy. You may recall the details that I shared with you the last time I preached about Paul and his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. If you do remember those details, then you know it hasn't been easy. This little community of Christ has formed, but there's been a cost. I've got to tell you a funny little story. Um, Alex and Hope Meyer... Uh, have been coming to Southside, and they have four children. Uh, They're just a really sweet family. I've enjoyed getting to know them so much. And their oldest uh, is in the youth group. His name is Theo. 
And he came up to me after my last sermon. It was just right down here in the front. And it was the perfect delivery. I don't know what the Lord has planned for this young man, but it's going to be good. Um, He just gave this perfect delivery when he said this. But he said, Mr. Barrett, he said, "You you know the part in your sermon where you were giving all the details about what Paul and Silas went through when they went to prison? And I said, yeah. He paused, and then he said, thanks for that nightmare. (laughs) And then walked off. (laughs) It was hilarious. I mean, it could not have been delivered more perfectly. Thanks for that nightmare. But Theo's right. It was a nightmare. Really, it was horrible. Now, the good news is the jailer and his household did come to know Jesus as the Christ. But it wasn't easy. There was a cost involved. In our text today, uh, we pick up here in verse 35. And I want to read again to you verses 35 and 36. When it was daylight... The magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Now, we don't really know why the magistrates chose to release them the next morning, but here we are. So let's let's tie a bow on the story. It was a terrible event, but there was a good ending with the conversion of the jailer and his entire household. And now Paul and Silas can go in peace. Verse 37. But, not so fast, my friend. Paul's not going to just go away. The book of Acts, enough time now that that's not really his M.O. And so he says to the officers... They beat us publicly without a trial, even though, now here's the kicker, we are Roman citizens, that got their attention, and they threw us in the prison, and now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. You see, for Paul, this was a classic example of what was done in public must be made right in public. After everything Paul and Silas had to endure publicly just the day before, he felt like their release should happen just as publicly. And I think that is an important principle. If I ever hurt someone privately, then I need to go make it right with them privately. However, if I hurt someone publicly, then I need to make it right with them publicly. Those two need to match up. I don't need to hurt someone publicly, and then just go make it right with them privately. And that's the appeal here from Paul. Now, he he wanted them to make it public. He wanted them to do uh, it right, make it right publicly. And although I do think this is a very important principle, I don't mean to say that Paul was just thinking about himself here. I don't think this was so much uh, Paul thinking, you hurt me publicly, and now... 
get right with me publicly. Instead, I think Paul had this young church in mind. I think he was thinking about Lydia. I think he was thinking about the slave girl. I think he was thinking about the jailer. You see, if he and Silas were to leave town quietly, then it would leave them, these new converts, with all these questions about who were those guys? What was that all about? Something public would hopefully answer those questions that any, anybody might have about this new group of converts. Verse 38, the officers reported this information to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. Now, that's the understatement of Acts chapter 16. Probably better translated, they were freaking out on the inside while trying to hold it together on the outside. I'm going to drop a little Latin on you this morning. I don't know if you're ready for this. Um, And I can't promise all you Latin scholars that I'm even going to pronounce it right. You must remember that I spent most of my childhood in the Appalachian Mountains of West Virginia, and then I moved to the North Georgia Mountains, and now I've lived here in Central Kentucky for 20 years. So just take that in mind as I try to tell you this Latin. But there was an important Latin phrase during the days of the Roman Empire that could be spoken at a moment's notice. When you were traveling across the vast empire, all anyone had to do Bear this statement, and safety was said to be guaranteed to you. Here it is. Civis Romanus sum. Civis Romanus sum. I am a Roman citizen. You see, in that world, that statement was Everything. Those three Latin words carried with them the weight of all the legal rights and all the social privileges of a Roman citizen. So the question that scholars like to ask of this text is, if Paul's Roman citizenship could have protected him from all that occurred to him during his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, The public, the beatings, the floggings, the inner cell, the stocks, the nightmare, as Theo called it. If all he had to do was say those three magic words, and he would have been legally protected by Rome from any of the actions that had occurred to him, why was he silent? Why did he not say, civis Romanus soon. Well, I think Paul gives us some insight into the reason why he didn't say that phrase in his letter that he would later write back to this little church in Philippi, to this group of believers that most likely met in Lydia's home. We know this letter as Philippians. And listen to what he wrote to them. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 20, this is from the New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. 
For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. They think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven. Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Paul wrote, but we are citizens of heaven. We are a people who have a foot in both worlds, so to speak. However, Paul does not understand it as a dual citizenship. One citizenship takes precedence over the other. And I think this was the primary reason that he chose to remain silent. Scholar and author uh, N.T. Wright has really helped me to understand Paul's thinking about citizenship. In order to understand it, I think there's an important context for us to know about Philippi. You see, Philippi was a Roman colony. We don't talk about colonies a whole lot these days. But by the time Paul shows up to Philippi, there would have been several generations of Roman colonists who had lived, reared their families, and died right there in Philippi. And these colonists were Roman citizens whose home was in Philippi. Oh, they were proud of their Roman citizenship, but they had no desire to return to Rome. You see, the desire of a Roman citizen who lived in Philippi was to bring Rome to Philippi. You see, that's what it means. That's what it means to live in a Roman colony. Again, colony is kind of an outdated word, so I like to use the word community. A Roman established a Roman community there in Philippi. And that context is key to understanding Paul's um, understanding of citizenship. So when Paul writes to the Philippians that were citizens of heaven, here's what he doesn't mean. We sang a song earlier this morning. It's a real toe tapper. Uh, it really kind of it gets you tapping your toes. The front aisle here, they were getting after it, wanting to clap, tap their toes to it. But the main message of the song is that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. That's not what Paul means by being a citizen of heaven. He does not mean, and so we're just hoping for the best here on earth, where we don't really belong. My citizenship's not here. We're just waiting until we can go and live in heaven where we do truly belong. My citizenship is there. This is not what Paul means 
by his citizenship is in heaven. If someone in Philippi said we're citizens of Rome, they certainly wouldn't mean, and so we're just hoping for the best here in Philippi until one get to all go back and live in Rome. You see, being a Roman colony works the other way around. The task of the Roman citizen in a place like Philippi was to bring Rome to Philippi, was to bring Roman culture and Roman rule and Roman influence to that place. And so when Paul writes that we're citizens of heaven, they would hear it in that context. They would get it. They would understand that. Except the task of the heavenly citizen in a place like Philippi is to bring heaven to Philippi. To bring heavenly culture. To bring heavenly rule. To bring heavenly influence to that place. So we're citizens of heaven. We're not just a passing through. Instead, we're praying like Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done. Here on earth, here in Lexington, here on the campus of the University of Kentucky, just like it is in heaven. I want you to get this. By saying that we're citizens of heaven, Paul was not saying, can't wait until we finally get to leave Philippi and all get to heaven one day. Instead, he was calling them as citizens of heaven to form a community of heaven here on earth. And that's beautiful. That's powerful. Sign me up for that. I want to share a little story with you about my dad. I really appreciate y'all praying for him and my mom. Um, just thankful for, man, the many people that are holding them up in prayer during this time in their lives. Um, they're back in the hospital, and I'm sure they're watching right now. But... I just, uh, I'm just really so proud of my dad. He's, he's really been through a lot these last couple of weeks, and he's had a lot of hard, and he still needs your prayers. And I just wanted to share a little story from last Sunday. Um, we left here and went up there to Louisville uh, to, to see my dad in the hospital, and we went into his hospital room, uh, and I asked him, I said, Dad, how you doing? <laughs> if, I get, if I get emotional, it's, I want you to know it's not because I'm sad. I'm just so full of joy about what I'm getting ready to share with you. Because I said, Dad, how you doing? And he said, Barrett, I got to speak the name of Jesus to my doctor this morning. 
And then he went on to tell us about it. Now, why would an 82-year-old man attempting to recover from brain surgery, laying in a hospital bed, be excited to tell his son that he had spoken the name of Jesus to his doctor? He's a citizen of heaven. You see, Paul's task is to bring heaven to Philippi. Not to bring Rome to Philippi. He's not there as a representative of Rome. He's there as a representative of heaven. And so when he, when he faced the persecution of the previous day, he chose to not trust in the rights and the privileges of his Roman citizenship, but instead to trust in the rights and the privileges of his heavenly citizenship. And Paul knew this better than anyone. Just like Roman citizenship carried with it the weight of all the rights and privileges of Rome, heavenly citizenship carries with it the weight of all the rights and privileges of heaven. Listen to what the Apostle John wrote in John chapter 1 and verse 12. He wrote, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, the right to become children of God. Let me share that again. That's so good. John wrote, this is John 1, verse 12. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I want you to know something if you didn't know this before. You were not born a child of God. You didn't come into this world a child of God. Now, you were created in the image of God. You were born an image bearer. But you were not born a child of God. You were reborn a child of God. You've been given the right to become a child of God through belief in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. He wrote, for you have been given not only, this is so good, for you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of him. Let me repeat that. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Let me ask you an important question this morning. Do you think about the opportunity to trust in Christ as a privilege that's been given to you? Is that how you think about it? What about the opportunity to trust in Christ even when it involves suffering? Even when it involves something really hard? Do you count it as a privilege that's been given to you? 
in that suffering and in that hard opportunity to trust in Christ. According to John and Paul, as citizens of heaven, we too have been given rights. We too have been given privileges. We've been given the right to become children of God, and we've been given the privilege of trusting in Christ, even in the hard, even in the suffering. And listen, there is no greater privilege given to man than to trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? No greater privilege given to man, kind, than to trust in Jesus Christ. Is that how you see it? Is that how you understand it? You see it as a privilege you've been given? Or is it a privilege you take for granted? Paul was a citizen of Rome. His rights and privileges as a Roman citizen had been grossly violated. But the rights and privileges that mattered to him were not tied to Rome, but to heaven. And no one on this earth could take those rights and those privileges from him. He'd been given the right to become a child of God. He'd been given the privilege of trusting in Christ, and that was all he needed. All the rights and privileges of Rome paled in comparison to what he'd received from heaven. Now, Paul does mention in this text his Roman citizenship after the fact, but not to claim any of its rights and privileges for himself. He's a citizen of heaven. And here's the question that I want to leave us with today. What would it mean for us Southside Church of Christ, live as citizens of heaven, where we're not just waiting out our last days here on earth until we can finally go home to heaven, but instead as citizens of heaven who've been given the right to become children of God and the privilege of trusting in Jesus Christ. We live boldly together as a community of heaven in this place and on this campus. May it be so in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message to us today from your text. Thank you for this call from Paul to live as citizens of heaven. We thank you for the the rights and the privileges that we've received as citizens of heaven, the right to become your child and the privilege of trusting in Jesus Christ even in the difficult seasons, even in the hard, even in the suffering. What a great privilege. There's no greater privilege 
we can trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the rights and privileges that we have as citizens of heaven. Lord, empower us through your Holy Spirit to live as a community of heaven here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, the invitation is to anyone here who has never responded to the gospel. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, we would love to be a part of that in your life for you to come and profess your faith, to put Christ on in baptism, to ask for the remission of your sins, to receive his forgiveness, to be gifted with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't all that sound wonderful? It could happen for you today if it's never happened before. We call you to come as we stand and sing this invitation.